Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. Welcome to today's guest. I am so excited for you to hear today's show. I had a fantastic conversation with Mary Ellen Reeder, who is the co-director of the Yar Lab, a wellness device to treat urinary incontinence and improve pelvic floor health. We talked about incontinence, how common it is, the lack of education that we have about the importance of pelvic floor health and some practical solutions that anyone can take. I'm excited for you to hear today's conversation, so please enjoy the show. On today's episode of Period Store, we have Mary Ellen Reeder. She is a co-founder and director of marketing for a company called The Yar Lap, and she's doing really amazing work educating about the importance of the pelvic floor. I want to just get into our conversation by starting off with the first question that I ask all of my guests. Tell me the story of your first period. (laughs) So my first period was a little bit, I guess everybody's is different, um, but I didn't get mine until I was 16. Um, So I was kind of later than the rest of my friends. The rest of my friends were in middle school or whatever. And I was nearing the end of high school and I got my period, but we never talk about it ever. I don't remember talking to my friends about, especially in middle school and in high school, nobody talked about your period um, because it was thought of as kind of disgusting, gross, dirty. And when I got my first period, I remember thinking I can use panty liners like an adult. And turns out that panty liners don't (laughs) help on your first few days of your period. And I thought, then I thought, oh my gosh, I'm bleeding. Something's wrong with me because I'm bleeding through all of these things. So I went to my dad, actually, um, who's also the other co-founder of Yarlap, because he always talked to us um, about our body parts and that body parts are just body parts. There's no shame. If something's wrong, you tell me and we figure it out. We go to your doctor, we figure this out. So I, I went to him and I said, something's wrong. I'm bleeding. It's not stopping. Help. And well, that freaked my dad out because that's not what you're saying. <laughs> it's not a great des- description. And then I, I slowly told him it was my period. I'm bleeding through panty liners. I don't know what to do. And he goes, okay, well, we'll just go to your doctor anyway, just so you have appropriate information. And then he proceeded while I was at my, my doctor getting this full rundown of what I probably should have gotten in my health class, um, to be honest. I was getting the full down run from her, Dr. Burke. I remember her. I remember it because it was so, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get over this. This is mortifying. And she was telling me all about what was happening with my cycle and everything. While I was doing that, my dad went to the grocery store and bought one box with every tampon and every pad and put it into the box and came and he was like, you're going to find out what is comfortable for you and what fits for you. 
and whatever you don't need, we'll figure out what to do with the rest. And that was, that was my first um, period story. And I remember it because I think he had like six bags, six grocery bags of, of absorbent pads, tampons. This was way before the diva cup or anything like that. So it was literally just pads and tampons. But I remember seeing all of them. And I remember I played soccer. I played soccer very um, intensely. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do the one with the girl with the sports and um, the tampon with the sports. And I don't need pads because no. And um, I just remember, I remember that so intensely because then I told my, my friends afterwards that my dad was the one that helped me with my period. And they all were, they were like traumatized. And I, I, I don't know why I was like, it's just my dad. But turns out dads aren't the ones that, but, um, back in, you know, 2003 or whatever, um, they weren't the ones telling, telling their daughters about periods. I guess that was, that wasn't the norm, but it was at our house. Whoa. This is actually the first time I've heard a story where the dad was so involved and, but I think it's beautiful and it, it really should normalize this idea that you, you're both set of parents in like a heterosexual relationship should be able to talk to their daughters about menstruation. Um, So why do you think, why was your dad so comfortable with this? Where did this all come from? Yeah. So my dad is a medical device engineer. So he creates these devices to help with muscle tone and muscle rehabilitation. And he has, so he's, what you would think of as like a stereotypical engineer. He's very practical. Everything. <laughs> um, and so when we were growing up, it was just parts are parts. And it's all, I, I hate to say this because it takes the humanity away from people, but, and he, he by no means means this, but our body is essentially just a machine. And to keep it running smoothly, you have to label the parts correctly. And so for us, there was never like a coochie or a vajayjay or, a PP, uh, a booty hole or anything like that. It was penis, vagina, vulva, vaginal area, anus, rectum. Sometimes we'd call it a butthole. I always thought that that was a hilarious term. Um, I still do. (laughs) (laughs) But but for us, it was always just talk about your body parts. It's okay. Everybody poops, everybody farts, everybody pees. Half the population bleeds once a month, um, theoretically. And that's just the way it is. And that's okay. There's no shame in it. There's shame in being shamed. Hmm. Um, so I'm very grateful of having that. And I know after doing stuff with the Yarlap, I'm very aware now that that was not, that is not the norm. It's still not the norm, um, especially for women and especially for women with dads hmm. um, who talk to them openly about their periods. Like I did. I, that's very much not the norm. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that pragmatic approach because I've got an eight-year-old son and I've always been kind of really straightforward about the naming of the body parts and just kind of like it's a penis because over here in the UK they the euphemism is is a they call it a willy like that's the kind of the Mm -hmm. kids um or in in North America it might be pee-pee but over here it's a willy and I've always said it's your penis you need to use a proper name and that and that kind of has stuck, although now that he's gone to school, they his friends, they like they joke a lot and they call the body parts different names, but he knows what they're supposed to be called. And I think that's really 
important, especially, you know, if there's any trauma happening that children should be able to say the exact name of anything that is happening to them. So what you're saying about your dad is really refreshing. So you then told your friends and they were traumatized because they didn't get the same sort of education that you got. But just kind of working it back a little bit, you got your period when you were 16. But did you know exactly what a period was because your dad had done that education on the kind of menstrual health side as well? No. So that didn't, my, like my menstrual health stuff didn't really hit until I got my period. And that's why it was such a big shock. I was like, I had heard the term and I know like my friends had cotton balls, turns out those were tampons. Um, and I knew that it made them uncomfortable. They never talked about it. They would sometimes joke when they would exchange tampons or pads in the hallway. Um, and I wanted to be part of that club, but I knew that I didn't want to be in the pain that they had described. Um, but I, I didn't know anything about biologically what was going on or really like the, the basics of what was going on until I got my period. And then it was like a quick run through, like a one-on-one brief five minute thing from my dad. And then we drove off to the doctor's office and I got a 45 minute description with a 3d anatomical, like <laughs> womb and, um, then there were charts and all these other things. And I just remember her talking about the female body, but then I remember her also talking about the male body. And I remember thinking, how does this affect the male body? Um, and I, I, she was giving me a full health class in 45 minutes. And she was like, why didn't I, she was like, I'm surprised that, um, more people don't know about this in health class. And I thought I'm a good student. We don't, we don't, we aren't taught about this in health class. I would have remembered because this is terrible. <laughs> this is not stuff you forget. And um, I think that that was definitely the first moment where I remember thinking, wow, why don't we ever talk about what is fundamentally going on with our bodies? Hmm. And I was at age 16. So, <laughs> so you got your period, you got this education from your dad and your doctor. And then what was your relationship? like with your period after all of this happened? I think of her as a, I love her. She annoys me. She's kind of the best friend that you've had since you were born. Um, And you have this deep fondness for her, but also at the same time, you thought if we met now, I would not like you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and so I, I, I like her. I know when I know everything is running smoothly when she arrives on time, I know that my diet's okay. My exercise is okay. I'm hydrated when it, and it aligns within my time frame. But, um, I know that it's, I get really bad pain and cramps. Um, my first two days that are unbearable, I essentially sit on a heating pad and, um, that's basically it. I sometimes worry how, that dynamic is going to change when we're trying to conceive because I'm a little bit on the irregular side. So I'm a little hesitant of how to track her uh, and her welcome party (laughs) Um, when I'm, when I'm going to start trying to conceive here in like the next year or two. Hmm. When you got your period, was it painful from the very beginning? 
Absolutely not. No. I remember thinking, why is everybody so angry and upset and have these massive cravings for chocolate and sweets or salty stuff? Uh, why why are people bending over backwards? And why is it portrayed as this awful thing on TV? Um, why does everybody have heating pads and all these other things? And I think up until about four years ago, I was totally fine. And then the past four years, I that's when I've, I've learned to kind of dislike her. <laughs> okay. uh, and so it's kind of at the beginning, it was just like, I'm bleeding. It's fine. It's whatever. Uh, no pain, no sensation, nothing. And I think a little bit after college, she it started to get a little bit more painful. Uh, maybe that's my body telling me I need to work out a little bit more or to need to change my diet or something. Uh, but I, in, I guess when I was younger, no, no discomfort, no pain, nothing like that. Couldn't understand why it was portrayed that way. And then, so four years ago, did, is, can you pinpoint something that happened that may have changed the way you experienced your period? Four years ago, I would say no. Um, The only thing that comes to mind is I was off and on with birth control for a really long time. And the cold turkey was about five years ago, six years ago. Like, I mean, totally done. Um, and I remember I got insane chin acne mm. that I couldn't get rid of. And I still kind of have it. Um, just intense acne on my chin, down in my, my, uh, my cheeks, my T-zone, like my forehead was fine, um, which was really annoying. And I think I, it was really hard if not impossible to track for about two years afterwards. And then about four years after we were kind of regular, it was fine. Everything. That's the only thing I could honestly say might have been a difference. My diet's kind of always been the same, but that's, that's been it. And um, that was, that was tough. That I remember thinking, this is not who I am behaviorally. I was so mean. I was so mean. And I, I remember thinking, this is, the words that were coming out of my mouth, like I couldn't, I couldn't take them back. But like, as they were, I feel like I was out of my own body and I was just watching me burn bridges. And I, I just thought, this is, you need to go away. You need to not see anybody until you figure this out. <laughs> and you are not a good person right now. And finally kind of, finally was able to balance that out. <laughs> and this was before your period or during your period? during it was like the two days before and then uh it was delightful afterwards but I mean it was just like the two days before was terrible the first two days were terrible that's like a solid week out of my month Mm. I was a monster that is not okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) so have things gotten better oh absolutely yeah yeah now I've now replaced anger with cravings for peanut butter so okay. now uh, we got, I think I am single-handedly keep, keeping just peanut butter in business, <laughs> but one week out of the year, I'm, I will eat jars of peanut butter, but I'm, I like to think, and I've been told that I am very pleasant now. <laughs> well, that's a big, big shift going from a, from mood changes to cravings for so peanut butter. So what is it like protein, fat? Salty. salty. I, think I think it's probably the protein and the saltiness. I've never really been a sweet craver. I've always been a salty, um, like a savory over sweet person. 
And I think just during my period, especially the first two days, and then the first two days of actual bleeding, I'm, I am all over anything savory, especially if it's covered in peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) And is it just peanut butter or is it almond butter or so it's just peanut butter. And I, I will tell, uh, I tell my partner all the time, I will, I'll message him and I'll say, I need you to bring back peanut butter, peanut butter covered pretzels, uh, peanut butter, like noodles. He goes, what? It, he's like, okay, well, I mean, we, um, we know she's coming soon and, and, and two days later without fail. Um, there she is. Wow. That's, I mean, you're not alone with having these really intense savory cravings, but it's really interesting how it's very specific to peanut butter. Um, I want to just go back to what you were saying about the birth control. Can you talk a little bit about why you what got started on um was it the was it the oral contraceptive or was it another type of birth control I always did the oral contraceptive the little packet with the mm. circle um, yeah. and then you know sometimes it changed the packet the square packet and it went you know left to right with the placebo at the very end and I changed around I changed the dosages I did it because I had really bad acne um, I would get hormonal acne and I couldn't get it to go away no matter what. Um, it was just, it wasn't for period pain. It wasn't for, um, sexual purposes. It wasn't anything like that. It was purely for an acne purpose. And I had really bad mood swings. Anytime I changed it or I changed the dose, uh, the higher it was, the more irritable I became. And it got to the point where I was still not myself and I was at the lowest possible dosage and do not do this. I'm, I'm not a medical professional, so I cannot diagnose, but do not do what I did and don't take yourself off. Um, don't test to see if it's better off. Don't take yourself off randomly, go to a doctor and figure out a good way to do this. Um, don't be my 20 year old self and try to (laughs) do a self trial. That's a terrible idea, but that's what I did. And I took myself off and I was awful after six years of being on it. And then I went back on it, still terrible. And I basically did everything that I'm pretty sure a doctor would tell you not to do to take yourself on it, put it yourself on, take yourself off, put yourself on. And then I took myself off cold Turkey and it took a while um, for me to balance out my mood, but oh my gosh did I love her? Like this girl who was not on, on, Oh, I loved her. She was awesome. She is awesome. I, I don't feel intense negativity. I feel a lot of things. It's wonderful. Um, the journey to do that, talk to your doctor, don't do what I did. It was a tough journey, but Oh my gosh, I, I love, I love this. And I, I'm not on it and I can track who I am regularly, uh, my cycle regularly. I do all of that. Um, I have a little handy calendar <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you mar- that I mark, you know, on the month to month basis. It's a monthly calendar, really tiny, but I can, I can track on the days. It's usually anywhere between 26 to 32 days. But um, again, I'm not the most regular person, but I... I would not 
for my own purposes and my own body, I'm not going to ever go back onto pill or IUD just because it was not, I wasn't really proud of who I was. And I think that that was more of a, a mood thing of how it changed that the levels within me. And I know that I'm probably a total outlier. Um, a lot of my friends adore their IUD. I love it. Rave about it. Whenever we catch up, they're talking about their updates. I have a very, <laughs> we're obviously very open, yeah. but, uh, but for me, I'm, I'm the only one that's completely off, um, out of my core group of six. Um, I'm the only one that's off four of them have IUDs. Three of them love it. Um, and, but that's, that's, this is my story. Yeah. So I, I just don't, I did not like who I was. I love who I am now. I no longer have like these monthly spikes of intense negative mood swings, intense negative feeling. Um, because by the time I felt like I was stabilizing out of that, it would be like five days until the next period. And I don't want to have five days of normalcy for the rest of the month being <laughs> unpredictable. So I uh, took myself off of it. Well, you know, you're, you're, this is not something that is unusual. I do hear this a lot, mood changes due to hormonal contraception. So it's really important that you're sharing your story and sharing the impact that this had on you from a mood perspective. But, you know, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, well, this is me as well, I want you to know that you're not alone. This is actually more common than a lot of people realize. I just want to say something, go back to what you said about your menstrual cycles, because you said that they're between 26 and 32 days. Mm-hmm. That's actually quite common for it to be not like just bang on 28 days every time. So you mentioned that you might have irregular cycles, but in my work as like a women's health specialist, I irregular and a regular cycle to me would be going from having uh, one menstrual month being 21 days and then the next one being 40 days. Like you're looking at, like for me, that's like a, an irregular cycle, like a really big differential. Whereas what you're talking about is like four, maybe five days. And I think, you know, that's not, to me, that's not a, uh, a regular cycle. That's more your body reacting to, things that are happening to around you, maybe one menstrual month, you're more stressed or you have a lot going on that might change the length of your cycle. So I, I obviously don't work with you. I just wanted to give you that, that little bit of insight. <laughs> no, I love it. I think that this is one of the first few times that somebody said that I'm normal in something. So I'm, I'm flourishing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to go back to what you're saying about um, hormonal contraceptive. So you were, you got your period at 16 and then at 20, you took yourself off of the pill. So you, that means that you went on it and you were on it for six years. So you were on it from when you were 14. So I guess it was four years, four okay. years or so. Cause it was, I remember thinking, oh, I'm on my period. I get to have birth control. Cause oh, that's what everybody did. And I, I don't know if that was, I think that that might be something that was very generational Mm. um, because it was, we, if it felt like we were kind of made to feel a little weird for doing that. Um, And 
but I remember going to high school and everybody was on birth control. And I live in a, I lived in a, a small little town in Ohio and everybody was on birth control. So it wasn't like a city versus rural situation. And a lot of them were on it for the same reason I was on. It was um, a hormonal acne situation. A lot of people wanted it to balance out their period. Um, I remember I had friends who, like you said, they would have months go by and they wouldn't have period or they would have months go on and they wouldn't stop having periods. And uh, I remember everybody was on it for a different reason, one or the other. But I think for me, when I went into high school, I was the odd one out because I hadn't had my period yet. And I wasn't on birth control because there wasn't need to. Why would I be on birth control when nothing's going on anyway? Hmm. Um, but I was the odd one out. I felt like everybody who I knew in my circles, and I'm not saying I was a popular kid, please don't take it that way. But it was a small school of about 250 people. And um, half of those were girls and we've known each other our entire life. And it's a small town. Um, and I think that everybody was on, everybody was on it and that's okay. But I remember thinking I'm an adult. This is weird. When I got my first packet of it, when I first filled it um, and was on that for about four years straight, I guess. And then took myself off and then took myself off cold Turkey. And that was bad. Don't do that. <laughs> please, please don't do that. That was, that was rough. That mm. was rough. So you've been on a real journey with hormonal contraception, with your period and the changes that you've experienced where it was fine. And then now it's painful. You have mood, you've, you used to experience mood changes. And now it's, now it's the cravings for peanut butter that are quite intense um, for someone listening to you and who, who, who's on the same journey that you have been on with hormonal contraception and now trying to conceive or on that in getting ready to think about that next step, what would, what would your message be to them? Don't panic because I'm very prone to, uh, going to WebMD or the Mayo Clinic and just spiraling don't do I like to a point where my doctor tells me, you know, please don't do that. If you have any questions, call me and we'll discuss it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I would just say, don't, it's so easy to self-diagnose and panic. And especially now with the yarl up at the pelvic floor, um, I'm now very firmly on that boat of don't panic. Don't self-diagnose. It's okay. Whatever's happening. We can, we can work within the, the parameters given. Uh, and you know, with all of this and a lot of my friends who have already had their first kid and, and the few that have let me kind of be part of their personal journey and seeing how difficult it can be. Uh, it's not always as depicted on social media where it's, it's flawless and it's beautiful and easy. It's not, um, that's a facade. So I think my thing would be if you're kind of within my world, don't panic. Um, don't freak out. Don't write yourself off. It's okay. It's mm. okay. So just switching gears a little bit, I want to just go to the pelvic floor. And this is an area that I personally didn't actually learn that much about until after I had had my son. And then 
I started learning about the different exercises that you needed to do. Of course, you know, like you learn about Kegels and, you know, like that's kind of permeated into the cultural conversation about pelvic floor. But I didn't have a true education until I actually really needed to strengthen my pelvic floor. So can you tell listeners why the pelvic floor is so important? Yeah. So just like you, I didn't know about the pelvic floor muscles until I started doing stuff with Yarrow Lab with my dad. So that wasn't until I was about 24. So about six years ago. And only because I started working in it, did I realize what was going on. And even my own friends, if I wasn't standing on a soapbox, you know, yelling about the pelvic floor, I don't think they would know about what's going on with the pelvic floor because we, we aren't taught about it or know really where it's located until we have a child or we have bladder leaks. And then it's kind of an, oh, did you know that this body part existed? (laughs) Were you aware that these muscles uh, are in your body and they're in everybody's body? Did you know that? And the most common answer is no, I had no idea. So I I'm in the same boat with the pelvic floor muscles. It's just, we never discussed it and we never talk about it, even though they are basically the foundation to hold, you know, for women, your bladder, your uterus and your visceral organs into their natural position. And for me, not knowing about that was mind blowing. Even when I got the health class discussion from my doctor, it was <laughs> we still didn't talk about it. We still didn't talk about the pelvic floor muscles because I, and I'm not sure why, I don't know why we don't put a more emphasis on these muscles, especially for women, because it's more of a laundry list of what doesn't affect them as to what does affect it for women. And, okay. And so it's a really important muscle. Can you talk about some of the effects that not taking care of it, not through lack of awareness or not pointing any fingers, but some of what are some of the effects of not taking care of it? Yeah. So some of the effects can be pelvic floor, pelvic floor dysfunction. So that can include urinary incontinence, which is involuntary bladder leak. So when you laugh, sneeze, cough, and you pee a little bit, um, sudden urges to go to the bathroom, incontinence. Um, it can also be on the other side where it's super tense. The muscles are very tense all the time and it can make intercourse, penetrative intercourse, extremely painful. Um, And not even penetrative intercourse. It can just be inserting anything, including a tampon that we're talking about. Menstrual cycles, it can include that. You just can't do it because it hurts so much. Your body is so tense. It's just, it's not feasible. And that can be on that spectrum of pelvic floor dysfunction of, not having control or proper tone of those muscles. And it can kind of, I think when we think of pelvic floor dysfunction, uh, your pelvic floor not working, most of us draw a blank of what that even is. Um, So, you know, the two most common are super tense or pelvic floor weakening and which leads to bladder leaks. And I think that what bites us in the, in the rear is that we don't talk about these enough. And then when we do, it's kind of like, a, oh, I didn't do enough. Well, how are you supposed to do it when you didn't know that it existed? Don't mm-hmm. put that, don't put that burden on yourself. And then we're told to do cable exercises. And we, with, there was a study that showed that even with written instructions, women do them incorrectly over 50% of their time. 
over 50% of the time because we end up using our rear end, um, our thighs, our our abs or something like that. And if you're engaging a different set of muscles, you're not engaging the pelvic floor in its entirety. And if you're not doing a proper workout of the muscle, how are you going to get the benefits that you're reading about? So it's kind of like a, do these exercises, good chance you're not going to do them wrong. Good luck. Goodbye. And it felt like we were setting ourselves up for disaster uh, or failure. More like we were setting ourselves up for failure because by the time we find out that these that these muscles exist, we already have the issue. Um, so it's not a preventative measure for a lot of people. And then when we do, it can't be a treatment method because we don't know how to work them out. We've never seen them and we end up engaged in the wrong muscles. And that's kind of how we, as ER lab came into fruition, how we kind of created a space for pelvic floor awareness that we didn't want to create this area of like shame and burden for women. We wanted to be kind of a, a safe space, a shelter for like, do you not know what's going on? Hi, we're here. <laughs> mm. Just talking about the pelvic floor itself. So you mentioned there's a spectrum where it's super tense or it's weak and that can lead to incontinence. So how we normally think about incontinence in the sense of like older, older people. And then now that I am a mother, there's another side of incontinence that we hear about. But across the population, and I know you probably can only speak to U.S. figures, but how how common is incontinence? One in four women. And universally. Oh, wow. One in four women. One in four women. And it, that's what blew my mind. In the United States, it's one in three. And the AARP and the University of Michigan came out with a study a few years ago that it's almost one in two after the age of 50 in the United States. But we never talk about it because I'm drawing a blank. I don't know why we don't talk about it. If there was any other issue, any other medical issue that affected this many women and was this common universally, it would be plastered everywhere. It would be at the front of stores it would be at the it would be at atm machines uh it would be a disclosure at atm machines but we don't talk about it because we're afraid of being a butt of a joke or we're afraid that you know this is not you can't treat it because i didn't have it when i was younger and there's a lot of myths and miscommunication about it and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because we believe as when we believe those myths that we're alone um, and that it's, there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to live with it and suck it up. Mm. And that's a lot of the health issues. That's not just incontinence. I feel like that's a lot of things for women in general, PCOS right mm. off the top of my hat, suck mm. it up and live with it until really, really recently. And that's one in 10 women. So I, I don't understand why for, women, we aren't more vocal about what is going on with our bodies because it's important and your health is important and you are important and your quality of life is of the utmost importance. So, I mean, the one in four figures should blow your mind. The one in three in the United States should blow your mind. One in two over the age of 50 should blow your mind. 
My mind is blown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my mind is blown. Um, and you know, you we we get told that it's still with a lot of things, as you say, with women's health, we get told that we need to live with these things: painful periods, mood changes, incontinence, and. You know, I've spoken to older women who are dealing with incontinence and they just think that it's just part of life. It's part of this natural decline that we go into as we get older. But, you know, we it doesn't have to be like that. You know, you don't have to stock up on Depends or in the UK, the, the brand is Tenna. Uh, you don't have to stock up on these things. You know, there is a lot that you you can do. I want to just go back to the other side of the spectrum, which is having a very tense uh, pelvic floor. What can, what's, because we don't, we often don't think about that, but what can cause that? A lot of it can be trauma, uh, your body's reaction to tense up. And I'm not saying like, you know, psychological trauma can be physical trauma as well. Um, but it's just like any other body part. It can just be how you were born like that. And that's okay. And you just need to learn how to properly relax those muscles. But a lot of, a a lot of the instances can be from trauma related instances. Mm. Uh, And your body's just tense all the time as a protective measure. And so you just got to learn how to relax those muscles. But again, that's so much easier said than actually done. The theory is so much easier than the implementation. Mm. Um, And in in that vein, we have a lot of women who have hypertense muscles and they can experience the pleasure of if they would like to do penetrative stuff or they don't have the option to use tampons or anything like that because it's excruciating pain. And there are therapists, pelvic floor therapists that do that st- kind of stuff um, to help with either incontinence from a weakened pelvic floor or a hypertone pelvic floor or having a hypertone pelvic floor, or having a weakened pelvic floor, you know, there's all sorts of different resources um, and tools that are available for this. And I think that that is another, another major gap is that we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, people don't know the information and they don't know that the, the information can lead to resources and tools that can help you get rid of it. Um, and I think that that is, is something very near and dear to my heart that like I if possible, I would hire a, a blip and just with skywriting and mm. write it all over the world. But the, I think that there is an information gap where we assume that, well, this is just part of life. And then we don't look deeper into it and we don't find the tools and the mechanisms to help with the, the actual issue and then treat it, the, treat the issue. We, you know, we sometimes treat the symptom um, by getting absorbent products or anything when it could be just toning up a muscle or learning to relax a muscle and getting the tools to get rid of the root cause rather than the symptom. So uh, awareness is a big, is a big part of this. How can we, how can we increase education around pelvic health? Break the stigma around it. I think that we've come really far. We still have plenty of work to do when it comes to the menstrual cycle, but we can now we now talk about it openly and we, we joke about it. It's not to a point where everybody feels comfortable doing that, but I think it's more acceptable than to like look at people and be like, <laughs> I beat myself. Um, 
And I think that if we kind of do take within the same vein that, that we have with the menstrual cycle um, and break that stigma and nurture a conversation, that helps. Knowing that you're not alone, knowing that you're not the only person in the world who suffers from this is a huge, a huge step forward. Mm. And that knowing that there is something there to help you get rid of it is also very key. Yeah. So to that point, let's talk a little bit about, about the, the yard lap, because these sorts of products are really powerful. And, you know, you have a country like France where after you give birth, you get prescribed pelvic floor um, therapy, but in the UK, that doesn't happen. So women are scrambling around trying to figure out a solution. And so you and your dad have created a product which is could be a solution for many, many women who are experiencing pelvic floor dysfunction. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah. So it's actually fun that you say that about France because that is perfect. Um, where my dad actually was on the team to help design the device for pelvic floor muscle rehabilitation for the national healthcare system in France. Oh, wow. and yeah. And in Germany, Scandinavia as well. So he kind of knew how, he knew what needed to be done and then created an over-the-counter one for the United States. Um, and also for the, for the UK as well. And there is just this gap and we felt we fell into it also before we created the art lab. It was a big moment. Is that we had a family member, well, family member, but not a family member, a dear friend that had urinary incontinence to the point where she knew she had 15 minutes. She had 15 minutes um, of freedom and she had to go to the bathroom. And it was like clockwork. And it got to the point where she wouldn't leave the house. And then she became secluded, which led to a, a whole array of things. And destroyed her social life, all this other stuff. And my dad goes, well, there's stuff in the, in, in France and in the, in, in Europe that you can just go and get it and it'll be covered. So there's probably something like that in the United States where you can just easily go and get it. Well, no, it's not because it's the United States. And, <laughs> and so then we, we created something that we knew we had the we had the resources, the quality, we had everything that we could do to bring something that would work to the United States that could be easily accessible. Um, and that's the key, that it was easily accessible and that it worked. And I think that there are so many things out there that you want to look for something that is good for your journey. If you have pelvic floor muscle control and you can do the workouts, but you're not sure if you're doing them properly or if you're engage in the correct muscles, there are an array of tools, right? There's like the, there's eggs, biofeedback tools and all these other things. But if you're, if you want something done for you and you just sit there or you have no ability to control those muscles at all, those tools may not be of use for you because they could engage the wrong muscle, right? You can end up using your, your butt again to hold everything in and just clench and just squeeze. And if you're using your butt, you're not using your pelvic floor muscles. And so you're not going to get the benefits. You'll have a rear end that looks amazing, <laughs> but you're still going to, but you're still going to have these leaks because you're not engaged in the pelvic floor muscles. So maybe those aren't correct for you. You want to use an NMES, a neuromuscle electro device that sends a signal into your pelvic floor muscles. 
And there are just different, there's different arrays and there are dilators for, you know, weak and or super tense pelvic floor muscles. There are an array of tools, but you want to find out what works for you and what is beneficial for your journey. Because if you have a tense pelvic floor muscle, getting something that is going to do the pelvic floor muscle workouts and clench for you is not what you want. You want something that's going to help you learn to relax those muscles. So it's really important that you find out where you are on this spectrum of tone and then go find a tool that is appropriate for you because you don't want to be backpedaling um, and not getting the correct tool for your problem. So you want to find out what, what, where exactly you are on this spectrum of tone. So if you are wondering where you are, so if you don't have the obvious, some of the obvious signs where you have bladder incontinence or you have um, like a super tense, like you can feel it or you have issues Mm -hmm. inserting tampons or issues having um, penetrative sex, would you say that the best way to get a sense of where you are is to see a pelvic floor specialist, like that sort of therapist? Or your GP, um, whoever does your uh, exams, if that's your OB or if that's your gyno or whomever can tell you um, where, what, how, where, how you are in your tone, where you are, if you have any, if you're good, if you want to use devices that are as a preventative measure uh, or as a treatment measure, it's a good, if you have the luxury of going to a licensed healthcare professional, that is your best bet. Okay, great. So if you, if someone's listening to this and they're on this journey and they, they feel scared, they're really worried about the symptoms that they're experiencing, whether it's on either end of the spectrum or somewhere in between, what words would you give them to give them a bit of support? Go to your doctor, kick down the door and say, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. Because just taking that action step of making the appointment, um, or even going to your friends or your family or your partner, or look yourself in the mirror and say, I have a problem. I'm going to go fix this is a huge, massive step. And you should be so proud of yourself for taking that step because you're trying to improve your quality of life uh, by no longer having this health issue. And you should never feel alone, isolated, or ashamed ever about taking control of your own health. So anybody who makes you feel any type of negative way for taking control of your own body, for taking control of your health, they're the ones that should be embarrassed. They're the ones that should be ashamed for making you feel that way, because you're amazing for doing this for yourself. This is the ultimate form of self-care. I know that we are now throwing that term around for, you know, creating a bubble bath and lighting some candles. (laughs) And and that is a form of self-care for people. But I I personally believe that this is the ultimate form of self-care is to take control of your health. And if you are doing that and and you are going to make an appointment or you're, you know, you're talking to people about your pelvic floor health or your bladder leaks or whatever. Um, and you're about to start this journey, know that this is so amazing and you are so great for doing it because not a lot of people do, and they just sit and suck it up. Um, 
even though they're not happy about it and their quality of life sucks and you are doing something good for yourself and you're putting yourself first um, and you're taking control of your health. That is amazing. And do not ever, ever feel alone ever. Fantastic. I think that's a really important words. If listeners want to find out more about you and the Yarlap, where can they go? They can go to yarlap.com, Y-A-R-L-A-P.com, or they can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Instagram is, I live and breathe on Instagram. So (laughs) (laughs) Instagram is a great place to be at. Um, We're at yarlap underscore O-T-C. If you just type in yarlap, it'll pop up. And you can send us messages, comments, whatever you want, and we'll get back to you um, as soon as we possibly can. And usually that's within like an hour or so. So uh, we're pretty quick to respond. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to talk to somebody about um, taboo subjects and somebody who's not embarrassed to talk about them as well. So it was really nice. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.